All right, and welcome back to another episode of the Lions Guide Podcast, where we take on various topics in performance and personal growth by exploring success stories and the lessons learned. We hold interviews with expert guests, and we review books and other resources to help us all establish clarity, build courage, and lead. I'm your host, Dale Walls, founder of Lions Guide and certified high-performance coach. And on this episode, we take a dive into the book called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And I do that with host of, with the host of Do Hard Things podcast, Jay Teagues. He was on episode one, Lions Guide podcast, and brought him back because this is one of his highly recommended books. And I uh, want to dive into it and share you know, the various takeaways and insights that, that we have from it. So about the book, um, Man's Search for Meaning has riveted generations of readers with its descriptions of life in Nazi death camps and its lessons for spiritual survival. Between 1942 and 1945, author of the book and psychiatrist Viktor Frankl labored in four different camps, including Auschwitz, while his parents, brother, and pregnant wife all perished. Based on his own experience in the stories of his many patients, Frankl argues that we cannot avoid suffering but we can choose how we cope, how to cope with it, finding meaning in it, and move forward with renewed purpose. Frankel's theory, known as logotherapy, from the Greek word logos, which means meaning, holds that our primary drive in life is not pleasure, as Freud maintained, but the discovery and pursuit of what we personally find meaningful. In a decade since the first publication, Man's Search for Meaning has become one of the most influential books in America, and it continues to inspire us all to find significance in the very act of living itself. So Jay and I uh, talk about the various insights and takeaways from the book, how those takeaways have served us, and how they can serve you in our journey for growth. So if you like the sound of that, before we get started, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any of our other great guests and content. Uh, as always, this podcast is sponsored by Lions Guide. So if you've been tuning in and hopefully getting value from the show, please support the podcast by going to lionsguide.com where you can subscribe to our email list. You can become a member of our private community, uh, even apply for group or one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, Dale Walls, and a certified high-performance coach. And you know, aside from our services, we've got some cool Lions Guide gear out there as well. Uh, check that out. Show off your pride of living a life of courage, clarity, and leadership. So with that said, let's start the show. Welcome back to another episode of the Lions Guide Podcast. And once again, we got the man from the Do Hard Things Podcast, my friend Jay Teagues. And Jay, how you doing, my man? Man, I'm doing great. How are you? Good, good, good. So, good. so I got Jay back on because um, we've been talking and, and I think you know, I'm, I'm, I'm operating in the power twos right now. When I hear something the second time, you know, I'm moving on it, right? And I think you were one of the two instances of hearing about Man's Search for Meaning, the book by uh, Viktor Frankl, uh, one of the top 10 influential books in America for, for a long time, right? It's written back, back in the 40s. And, um, you know, I picked it up over the summer. I know that's one of your top recommendations. It's a really, really impactful book, you know, a lot of powerful lessons in there. So, so we were uh, chopping it up, talking about it. I was like, hey, man, let's get on and, and talk about this thing and kind of, you know, go through it. We'll do a little review of Man's Search for Meaning and, um, you know, really your takeaways, my takeaways, and and hopefully everyone can get some value out of 
some of, you know, we're trying to share the wealth, I guess, is what, what we're after yeah. today. So, um, but before we jump into all that, Jay, uh, for those who didn't listen to Lions Guide Podcast episode one, man, give us a little quick intro about yourself. Uh, my name is Jay Teagues. I am currently active duty military. I'm a captain in the United States Army. I've been in the Army for 25 years. Uh, very old captain. I was enlisted for many years. Uh, so I am a transitioning veteran. I'll be uh, retiring next year. Father of triplets, single father of triplets. Uh, daughter's my, uh, they, they just turned 13. I am the host of the Do Hard Things podcast. Uh, endurance athlete. Uh I'm a transformational mindset coach and a fellow certified high performance coach. That's how we met through uh, Brendan Bouchard's teaching at the High Performance Academy. And that's as I transition, that's what I'm doing. I'm helping individuals, you know, live a better life. And I think my, as we were just talking about this, I think my, my focus and my niche is going to be helping veterans and transitioning veterans find their next mission. And what I love about this book that we're going to be talking about, it is probably the book on the topic of clarity, clarity as you know, is one of the most important aspects of high performance. If you don't know who you are or where you're going or what you want, it's going to be very hard to live a fulfilling life and, and live a, a life that's congruent. It's going to be very far, hard to find your happiness. So I love the fact that you, and I'm honored that you invited me on to talk about this particular book because I think it's, um, I didn't read it all that long ago, but it's easily top three book. It's probably one, it, it's, I've got two books, this and the slight edge that are just neck and neck. If I were to hand someone a book, it would either be this one or the slight edge, uh, but a fantastic book and great opportunity to be here today. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's what I want to do. And it was one of my goals with this podcast was to do reviews like this because, you know, it's, it's that, right. I find myself talking to people, clients, friends, family, whatever about influential books. And like I say, I, I range between 40 and 60 books a year. So I got a whole freaking library of, you know, asset, let's say. But um, the reason I want to start diving in these books on the podcast is so that when I talk to someone, I can, because I, I'm saying the same thing every time, <laughs> like read, read Man's Search for Meaning, read, you know, um, uh, 12 Rules, Rules for Life, or, like, you know, all these great books that, that you hit the key word. And it's really why it became a key word in my philosophy, which is clarity, man. You, you get into these books and like this book, it's written in the 40s. But the perspectives, the values are timeless. And so diving into these books like Man's Search for Meaning today, like one of my goals for this is so when people, when it pops up in conversation, I go, hey, man, go check out episode X with JTs. We go through Man's Search for Meaning. There's some great value there. You know, um, start there and if you, or go get the book and or both, whatever, go, go get it done. So I'm excited. I'm excited to... Uh, no, this is a, a fantastic book. And I like the idea of that. Sometimes we just, I've got a whole list of books that are on my shelf and trying to get through. Sometimes you just need a very succinct version of this and maybe it will compel someone to go actually pick up the book. And uh, one of the things I've learned is that there are so many books that have been written. So don't waste your time. There's so many wonderful books. Don't waste your time on books that uh, I, all my books are recommended. They come highly recommended by people that I respect. That way, I'm, when I pick up a book, I'm never disappointed. When I watch a movie, oftentimes people are like, man, how do you watch the same movie over and over and over again? Well, I value my time and I like to know what I'm going to get. And I know like I could watch Band of Brothers over and over again or Game of Thrones. I love those shows and those movies. Uh, with a book, I don't want to waste my time. So here's a book recommendation and here's two people that absolutely love this book. And like you said, it's the, one of the top 10 most influential books by the Library of Congress. This is a profound, impactful book. 
And so, uh, I was yeah. going to ask that and just, you know, cause one of the things we talked about in the, in the, the green room, if you will, uh, before we hopped on here was the, the habit of reading and what, how, what's your, just curious, what's your reading schedule? Like when, when do you get your reading in? I usually do it first thing in the morning. It's one of it was part of my morning routine. At a minimum, I shoot for ten pages. I mentioned the book, The Slight Edge, which specifically talks. That's where I developed that habit. I picked up that book after a, a very long break from reading altogether, and in an effort to uh, incorporate something positive into my life, compelling case for hey, if you just read ten pages a day, by the end of the year, you'll have read at least twelve books. So I'm not on the pace of, of you reading, you know, what'd you say, 40 to 60 books? Yeah, I'm probably more like a 25 to 30. I get yeah. about through two books per month, um, but at about 10, maybe 15 pages a day. Right. But yeah, I love starting my day off with a solid nugget of positive information. And so I, I wait for my pre-workout or my caffeine to kick in and I'm reading and then I go get my workout done. I, I think we're on the same page with that because similarly, that's that's me. I'll get up. I've actually really adopted that habit of meditating, you know, twice a day. Now my minimum one a day is like, as soon as I get up, like, um, someone educated me on the acronym RPM rise P meditate. <laughs> so <laughs> I was trying to meditate after my workouts and someone who's actually, you know, uh, fluent in that spirituality and meditation space. I was talking to them about it. They're like RPM. I was like, what's that? And like rise, beat, meditate. So, so I've been getting up, meditating, uh, Jody and I get together and do a, do a coffee walk or have our time or quality time. But then my next is, is my reading time. I read for about an hour a day, you know, so depending on, on how our schedule is shaking out or what's going on, it's usually a minimum of 45 minutes and I'll go for an hour. I know my average is about 35 pages a day, you know, and that's, that's how I, I'm able to, but you're right. Like, all the important things um, in personal development, you know, what I find at least is like I got it's got to get done in the morning. And even with all my clients, right, uh, you know, we'll be talking about change, change of habits, getting in the gym or getting reading in or whatever. And, you know, for the I'll just, I guess I'll say the inexperience, they always go, yeah, after work or when I get home X or whatever. I'm like, do me a favor. Let's start there, but let's quickly review if it's working or not, because you and I both know, right? It just doesn't work like that, man. The day just, the day robs you. So you got to take care of yourself first because what happens the rest of the day is as much as we plan and, and all that stuff, especially if you have kids and a family and other things, um, you know, it, cause I would say like back in the day in the Marine Corps, when it was just me and, and Jody and our roommate, um, I, I came home and I read every day. I a hundred percent did that, but I, I got three kids now, you know, I got other responsibilities. I got, yeah. got the work. So, um, if you guys are not a reader, but you're trying to be, I, I and you want to stick with it, I would say find that time in the morning, like, like Jay does. Yeah. It's gotta be done first thing in the morning. It sets the foundation for the day. You start off the day on uh, on solid footing. I always think about like you get your fighter stance, right? Cause the day, yeah. as soon as you, uh, as soon as the kids are up and then as soon as you go to work and all the obligations, you got to be in that fighter stance. And if you've ever, st you know, you've been to like a, you do jujitsu, right? You, you go into class, they're like, hey, just stand there and they kind of push you over. But when you're in that fight stance, you got balance, right? So yeah. I think of my morning routine as like getting into my fighter stance for the day. It enables me yeah. to navigate the day so much better. And I'm not, you, you sound like you are probably more of an avid reader than I am and look forward to it. Reading for me has not always been natural. In fact, I didn't read for, for many, many years. And people that are new to the habit, what I often tell them is try to go for at least 10 pages or just read until you get like a positive nugget. Even if it's a, a page in and you just get a nugget, 
hey, good enough. That, that, that's the intent is to put something positive for you to ponder. And I think I, whatever that positive thing is, I'll think about that during my workout. And kind of like maybe it's the theme for the day. I'll post something on social media about it, which helps me reaffirm that. And I'll get a great conversation as opposed to getting in an argument on the internet or posting something political, which is what I used to do. Yeah. So. Yeah. You know, read, read intentionally, right? Like read yeah. intentionally, you know, geez, uh, the infinite number of books out there, you know, if you've got an issue, right. Or like, I mean, I guess the way I pick what to read is just like that. I'm in conversations. People say, here's book X, whatever. I go straight to Amazon. I've got a book list and I just quickly add it to my list. And then every single month I have a, a month close routine. I, I go ahead and lay out what I'm going to read the next month. And I'm a little bit, but, but it's how I need to do it if I want to stay consistent. But I literally sit down and go, okay, here's the next few books up on my list. What do, what do I run to read? Is there anything that I truly am interested in solving for right now? Um, and then I'll go do a quick inventory of how many pages they are. And knowing I read about 30 pages a day, I'll go through and lay out, hey, I can knock out these three or these four or these five books this month based on that average. So when I kick off my month, like I already have books, I already know what I'm reading when, and maybe that's a little far, maybe it's not because here's the reality. I'm very intentional about my reading and I'm reading for value. Like, yeah, I, I bring that here and that's, that's my goal, but I'm not just reading to say I read, I'm not reading uh, fictional stuff that's story stuff, but I'm reading with intention, you know, with a game plan. And that allows me to execute. Um, I think with all things, especially personal development wise, if you have a game plan, you're more likely to execute, right? So for me, reading, um, having a game plan keeps me consistent, you know, and I enjoy it. I, mean, I really do. One of my favorite quotes is from Jim Mattis, and I'm probably going to kind of butcher this a little bit, but he basically says that if you are, uh, if you don't read, you're functionally illiterate and you don't have the necessary tools for you to navigate life. I completely butchered that, but that's the bottom line of, of the quote. It's like uh, he's known as the warrior monk, and he he yeah. talks about it in his interviews, like every combat situation he found himself in, he had a frame of reference because history repeats itself. And in personal development, like we, we were talking about this in the green room, like that, that there, there hasn't been anything, no new enlightenment in, in the realm of personal development, but the more knowledge and the more wisdom you have enables you to deal. And for me personally, detach my emotions. And that's ultimately one of the reasons that I got into reading about eight years ago and how it's fundamentally changed my life. It's because it's made me wiser. It's enabled me to detach my emotions and now I always have a frame of reference with every problem that I run into. Or if I run into someone that's dealing with something, I'm like, hey, why don't you check out this author and this book or this reading or this podcast or what, whatever. All of these, it's a tool. And wisdom is a tool that I took for granted. And I, I just wonder if I would have started reading earlier, how fundamentally different my life would be. Because it's changed my life so much in the last eight years. Oh yeah. And and it's uh and you said it key earlier. And again, I don't know if I finished the thought or not, but it is reading is why a, a big part of why clarity is a core value of the Lions Guide, right? Like clarity is key, man. And you want to get clarity, like start digging through books and problem solve, you know, and and just get these alternate I don't even say alternate, but get these per perspectives. Cause you're right, like humans have been around for tens of thousands of years. Who knows, right? Our our human existence and you know, I know we all want to have our ego and think our problems are ours, but <laughs> our problems, 
are everyone's like everyone's got the same problems everyone's got their stuff we say that you and i probably both say this on both all our podcasts all the time everyone's got their got their shit man but in in, in the ways to solve for these issues that we deal with of life right the suffering of life have been documented in many different varying ways varying perspectives the same information just flanking from different angles you know over and over again and all the way back to the bible you know I, you know it it too has a prescription, you know, not to get all spiritual or even religious, but like it too, the lessons in the Bible are a lot of the same lessons that you're reading in your, your books today. You know, they're, they're just said a different way. They're delivered a different way. And I think that's great because you, you the more you hear the same things from different angles, like they just, you're burning it in, you know, you're really, um, cause you, you've got the forge, right? It's like, you're, you're forging your sword, right? You're, you're just, you know, steadily hammering away. You're sharpening it from different angles. There's not one angle to get better. I guess is what I'm trying to get to getting that clarity. And it's, it's, it's great. I mean, it makes you feel good, you know, getting that clarity out of this, these things. Absolutely. The, the forge applying heat and pressure to change something and something useful and, and, and better. And you do that by applying heat and pressure, right? And, and in life, that could be a form of suffering. It's doing those difficult things. And uh, I think that's incredibly important, which is a big crux of this book. And you mentioned the Bible. The Bible is, you know, it's a, it's a series of books. It's the ultimate personal development guide. Whether you believe Jesus is the son of man or just a Jewish philosopher, there's no doubt that that, that book has had an impact on the world. And there's so many great nuggets and parables in there, whether you're a believer or not. There's just incredible wisdom in that book. And I, I'm a big fan of Stoicism. And this is, you know, Marcus Aurelius and Epictetus and all of these other uh, Seneca, yeah. like incredible wisdom from that time period that is applicable today. It's incredible. And this is a book that, um, you know, is from the 1940s with a lot of great wisdom and it's very profound. Yeah. And, and we'll, we'll turn to that. Uh, here, it, but one point I want to make because you brought it up, um, Marcus Aurelius meditations. I remember that was one of James Mattis's, like that's his everyday carry. You know, he doesn't leave home without that book. You know, he he said, if I recall correctly, that he <laughs> that's his everyday carry, and he he re, um, it reflects on it often. So I mean, and those are th I mean thousands of years ago. You know, um, yeah. So man, search for meaning. When uh, when was the first time you read read this book? I only read this book, I think it was uh, maybe a year, year and a half ago, right. maybe a year and a half, 18 months ago. And I wonder like how profoundly different would my life have been had I read this much sooner? Uh, I, re I stumbled into this book. I'm a big fan of uh, Tom Bilyeu, who was uh, yeah. billionaire founder of Quest Nutrition, host of the Impact Theory podcast. I heard him speak at an event and, he, and I didn't really know who he was at the time, but profoundly impacted me his presence and just how he carried himself. And he mentioned he had a, a, a top 25, like read these books in order. And I started working through his list and it was book number four. Mm. And uh, yes, yeah, so it was about 18 months ago. Yeah. Awesome. The, uh, have you just read it the one time or did you, did you kind of pick it back up? Since I've then? read it twice and it's a book that I thumb through and reference. It's in my reference book. I've got a note file on it. I have mentioned it has come up in my podcast. I'm like 30 episodes in, probably at least 15 or 20 different episodes. It has made its way to the surface in somehow or another. So it's it's profoundly impacted me. Yeah. So let's let's jump in. Well, I mean, before we get into some of those impacts, I guess this the summarize it, like before we jump in and dig deeper into it, why would 
why should someone read this book? Why, would, why is someone going to even be interested in even what we're about to get into from your perspective? From my perspective, I think he does a great job of boiling down what are the most important things in life and what are some focus areas of your life? What is the reason why you need to have a powerful why to gain clarity? Like you said, in high performance, the number one thing that we need is clarity. And this book is a great way to help you identify what's important, maybe to give someone some clarity. And no matter how bad you think that your life is, here is a compelling book that's like, you ain't got shit. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> on, on what's, you know, it really, it's like, okay, you're depressed and you're feeling kind of bad. Well, let me tell you about my life. You know? And so you yeah. read this and you're like, wow. Like when I picked this book up, it was so gripping and so harrowing. I couldn't put it down. At least the first you know three quarters of the book is about his story from death camp to death camp and how he survived. And it's so gripping that it was, most people find themselves, they can't put the book down. It's one of those books. It's that powerful. And I feel like that's because like it is so unbelievable, right? And and you know, Holocaust is a whole other podcast, right? But but to start reading that story and realize it's it's not a fictional story. Like this is his account of what he went through, what he saw people go through um at Auschwitz. Am I do I say that right? Auschwitz? Yeah, um, Auschwitz, yeah. So man, and that's a part like, you know, if you're if you wanna experience the depth of human suffering, you know, and even human evil, you know, uh, that's a part of this book, a reason to read it, to kind of really put things in perspective on really how well, how good you got it, you know, and, and why we need to, uh, why we need to keep history alive. You know, there's so, it seems like there's so much trying to bury history, you know, right, wrong, or different of, I mean, these things happened and, and we've got to, reflect on it. We've got to learn from these things. And, you know, his, his account of, of what he went through and, you know, and what his peers endured and, and those who didn't make it and why, which is, is what we'll dive into here. Um, and the real lessons that he brought back from that, man, it is such, such a powerful perspective, you know, a journey that that's an experience. It really is. It's hard to put down. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. History repeats itself. This is not the only atrocity that's happened it's probably the one that's the most documented and the most talked about. But sure. as you know, as we're having this podcast today, we're looking at what's happening in Afghanistan right now with the Taliban running in as we're evacuating. Uh, and there's other parts of the world where there's atrocities happening in Africa and other, you know, uh, other countries like genocide and these things happen over and over again. It's part of the unfortunately, it's part of the human dynamic and the suffering of and why do these things come about? And we need, you know, I think knowledge is power. And yeah. the more that we, you know, study this and realize that it is there, maybe we can combat against it and minimize it. But yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, you can, it's just the awareness, right? It's the clarity of the awareness of how slippery some slopes really are, you know, and, and, and why it's important to, not be willfully blind to things that happen because, you know, again, they're slippery slopes. And, you know, if you look at history and you need not look far, you know, um, you know, and, and I think to your point, this is, 
you know, most document because we have the power of technology, right? You know, in, in human history, there's been plenty of atrocities, but this is recent and we've had, we have, we had so much technology during this time to document it so we can actually get closer to it and analyze it more. And, and, you know, we're in the information age, right? So it's, it's everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and for those that aren't familiar, you know, I had a conversation not long ago, uh, with someone we, we watched, uh, it was the first time that they seen a movie about the, I forgot which movie it was, but it was a Holocaust movie. And they were asking me like, is that real? Did that really happen like that? Like, and, and we have a whole generation now that I look at my, my kids, we, you know, they don't understand these things and they're watching what's going on in Afghanistan. You know, it's a new, newer generation. And I, I think it's important to keep history alive. And this book does just that, but it also gives you a compelling reason. It's a great personal development book from someone's yeah. absolute tragedy. Yeah. Yeah. And even, you know, the book kicks off in the forward. One of the things I took away from it, you know, the quote, you know, talks, you know, ironically, it talks about the power of books, like right out of the gate in the forward. It says, you know, if a book has one passage, one idea with the power to change a person's life, that alone justifies reading it, rereading it and finding a room for it on one shelves. And I, I you know, that was a first highlight out of the gate. I'm like, yep. You know, this is, and that's the thing with, with reading too, um, kind of to, to beat this reading reasons to read drum is like some of it's affirming, you know, for me, I, I, I run into a lot of stuff. Um, you know, I'm trying to stay on a path that that's my mission is, is to stay on a path. And sometimes it's not just things that you learn, but things that you affirm, right. That, you know, that you'll read something and go, yeah, thank you. You know, because I wasn't sure if I was right there or it just kind of articulates your thinking, you know, maybe you've not journaled a, a way of life or philosophy or something out, but then you find it in a book. You're like, yes, like, yes, that's me. And it's, it kind of, it's that pat on the back, right? When someone's you know, recommending something or there's some value there, it's kind of like, okay, cool. Yeah. Absolutely. And you talk about staying on the path, you know, sometimes even as high performance coaches, like we find ourselves, veering off the path and reading enables me to kind of maybe pivot or when I'm facing with something that I'm reeling with, it enables me to quickly pivot. That's one of the, going back to the case of, you know, reading personal development and doing this work, you know, when I find my emotions taking over, I can quickly pivot and get back on the path. I don't spend nearly as much time connected with whatever it is that I'm dealing with. So yeah. You know, it's, it's your brain's muscle work, you know, it's, it's like a workout for your brain. And if you're working out the right way, you know, consuming the right content, you know, you're so, uh, yeah, you know, so man search for meaning, you know, just to, to summarize the book a little bit, um, cause we're going to jump into a few of the, you know, bigger, uh, categorical, um, I guess categorical lessons that we ran into throughout this book, but really the, the three, sources of meaning, right? So Viktor Frankl, through his experience of the Holocaust and, and, and Holocaust camps, you know, um, concentration camps, you know, was, he was a psychologist um, doing a lot of study research, um, I think a professor as well. Um, so he was eyes wide open on the human experience, you know, of this tragedy. And, you know, he came away with this, his, his, um, you know, findings and, and, and how he saw things happen. And really, you know, he saw three possible sources for meaning in life, which was in work, which would be doing something significant, right? You're doing something that's providing value. You know, you, you feel 
your value in, in what you do. Um, you understand that. Um, the second thing was in love, meaning that you're caring for another person. And the third one, you know, which is, I feel like a major part of the book, um, you know, for those who survived in the, in the reasons why some did and some didn't, which was in the courage, in courage during difficult times. Um, and this was where, you know, it, it, he really saw the ones that gave up hope, you know, had nothing to live for. You know, he, the way he described it, as I remember, it was like, you could physically watch them decay. Like you could see when they lost hope because physically they just, they were decaying. It was his words, I believe. Yeah. He talked about, uh, I remember he gave a date. It was like March 30th. And one of his fellow prisoners was like, we're going to get out of here. The war's going to be over by March 30th. We're going home. We're going home. And then as that date approached, like on the 29th, there was like no hope that the war was going to end. That individual got typhus and he said, and, and, and they died from the typhus. And he's like, that person didn't die from typhus. They died from losing hope. You're your immune system, your spirit, your emotion, like is all integrated together. And that individual completely lost hope in the will to live at that point in time and ultimately succumbed. The, the disease was there, but ultimately succumbed to their own, you know, inability to persevere any longer. Like they just gave up hope. Like, and, and yeah, I, he hit that, you know, pretty strong um, because it was like the, the, um, the prisoners who were setting that date, they were saying, we'll be, you know, cause I remember they were talking about, I think Christmas at one point they were saying, you know, it's going to be Christmas, you know, we're going to be out of here. But those who like hung their hat on that, like that was their end game and that yeah. end game came and passed. That was it. Like, and, and that was where, um, he, I felt, um, brought it around. Like those who were committed to surviving the experience period, like their goal was to survive the experience. Those were the ones to survive, but the ones that hung their hat on that end game, uh, I think he called it the, the, the time experience. You know, they were having, you know, a lot of, you know, uh, challenges around, I guess the, you know, you know, losing, losing hope so drastically because they just were picked, picked the wrong, um, wrong end game. Yeah. And, and, you know, kind of going back to connection, one of the things that that enabled him to have hope, he didn't know whether or not his wife was alive, but just the thought of her being alive gave him hope like one day he'll be reunited with her and it gave him the fuel to continue to persevere through these deplorable situation when he had no end in sight, didn't know when it was going to end. And, you know, he... He goes in great detail about talking about, you know, his, his, his wife and, and that hope that he had. Um, I know I think about my experiences like deployed. I, I deployed to, uh, to, to Iraq in 2003 and especially very early on in the deployment, like we didn't know if we were going home or when that would be. Cause at that point, like timelines were extended and, we didn't have like everything was stripped away from us. All we had was the food that was given to us. We were in these very difficult situations. I mean, there were points in time I didn't have a shower for like 30 days. We were like looking for water, like water. I mean, just basic human needs weren't yeah. really being met. But one of the things that we absolutely looked forward to was receiving letters from our significant others and our loved ones in general 
and having the hope that one day we would be reunited, like at the end of this shitty deployment, like we're going to go home and be with, you know, those that love us. And for those soldiers that got that dear John letter, you know, and and the army always say, Jody's got your girl back home. Yeah. Uh, It was, you know, psychologically detrimental to them because at that, they, they lost their hope. They're in this bad situation and the one thing that they pin their hope on and, and, and that, that connection that they had is now gone. That really, really affected their ability to show up in, in, in how they performed and really rattled them. And that it's pretty, it's, it's a common thing that happens, unfortunately, uh, in, in service, but, um, it's, it's, that's what, when I read that, that was one of the things that, uh, that reminded me always wonderful to get that perfume, like, you know, that, that letter, I don't, do people even do that anymore? They write letters and they spray the perfume and put the lipstick on it. You know, uh, it was great. And, and the guys would be like, yeah, I, my girl just wrote me and here's some photos and like, man, she's cute. You know, all those things. I, I really, I cherish those moments. He didn't even have that. He was in this deplorable situation where th- he talked about he didn't get any letters or anything like that. But he had visions of his wife and that that love for her. And he knew that he would be reconnected with her. And that gave him the desire to continue on. Yeah. Now. And that's the that's the love aspect of it. Right. You know, the that that was his he had to get through this to get back to her, you know, whether he he didn't know the, the truth of her situation, but he knew he had to get through this for that. And in his situation, he knew he wanted to get through this to at one point in the book, he 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 talks about visualizing you know, giving a lecture to college students about the psychology of the concentration camp, right? His, his, his vision for the future was through this. It wasn't, this is going to end. He was going to get through it. That was his vision. And that was the difference, right? There wasn't a, um, you know, a fabricated end date in his head. It was, I'm going to get through this to do X, right? There wasn't a, a mark on the calendar. And that was the difference of, of many who, who made it and didn't made it um, in one perspective on the book. And before we run on that topic, you, you made me. So fun side note, boot camp, two things. One, my now wife, high school sweetheart, while I was in Marine Corps boot camp, name is Jody. So I'm getting letters on mail call from Jody, you know, so that's always fun because the the DIs so are a Marine pulling. Corps thing. That's a Marine Corps thing too. Jody's got your girl back home. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So I was getting clowned in a lot of ways on that alone. But so one day, so we did mail call, I believe, on Sundays. You know, sitting on our foot lockers, and uh, the DI was, um, I think, it was Sergeant. His name was Sergeant Pierce. Uh, you know, uh, uh, infantry infantry sniper guy, I believe even. Um, anyway, he's got, got the crazy drill instructor voice and he's like one call, not mail call, whatever. And uh, as he's pulling out the mail, I see all the white envelopes. But as he's going down, I see this big like face sized postcard, which was like a pair of lips. And um, as I'm watching him count down, like all of us are looking around like, oh, somebody's going to get it. Like, you know, look, look, you know, the eyes are looking for something. Someone's going to get it. And then he finally, he gets to this big pair of lips postcard. He flips over, looks at it and, you know, being kind of animated about it. And he, and he reads it, you know, he picks his head up. He's like, where are you at walls? I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> uh, so he drags me up on a quarter deck and I was doing uh, what he did. He, he, 
I uh, he put the postcard in front of me, and I had to do push ups and kiss the lips, you know, whatever. He's like, oh, oh, you like the lips? I don't recruit walls, and you know, I'm up there pushing, kissing those lips. Uh, my wife and I joke about that all the time. Oh, that's um, so funny. So, anyways, back to the book, as uh, Jocko Willink would say. Um, and another another seal that tells the story, um, you know, um, David Goggins. He's got his whole thing about taking souls. But one of the one of the instances he talks about that was, you know, this hope factor when um, at Buds the instructors would take you know the uh, the trainees on a run or whatever, and um, you know they would be on like a normal run. And they would be getting all excited when they were coming towards the end point, but the instructors would pick up on that excitement and run right on by it. And he's he and Goggins would talk about like you would hear them just shut down. You would hear them all get quiet, and that's what. You, <laughs> and one of the, the the things I I listened to, we were talking about music before uh, we hopped on here. Like I actually don't listen to music when I'm working out anymore. I listen to YouTube motivational comp- compilations that are all like geared out. You know, it gets me fired up. But one of them, he's like you know, he's like, yeah, you know, we're going to the, uh, end point and everyone's getting excited, but the asshole instructors, you know, they hear that. So we keep on running and they all shut down and that's where then they're giving up and I'm taking souls, you know? And it's like, like, yeah, man, you know, that's, that's true. I mean, you, you, you hit that end point and it doesn't end. That's, it's so disheartening. So disheartening. Yeah, when, when I was the commander of Ebolix, it's the engineer basic officer leadership course. We'd have anywhere between 500 to 700 students, and it's every engineer officer in the engineer regiment comes through this course. It's almost like their basic training. It's all these lieutenants from their commissioning source. And we would always have these organizational runs at post or whatever. So we'd meet up at our company area. We would run over to where the battalion would meet up. And then we'd run over to where the whole formation would. And by the end of it, you know, probably by the end of the run and everything, they're probably about six miles in. And then we run back to the company. And I'm pretty fast. I've always been a pretty fast runner. So I'd pick up the pace a little bit, you know, and just kind of, like, hey, we're because we've been doing this really slow motivational run. Let's let's pick it up and get back. So I'll have the kind of the formation strung out. And then when we get close to the company, we kind of get everyone back up. I have my cadre like getting everyone motivated. We're singing cadence. And then I just continue to run past the company. And immediately, we're not even running that fast. All these lieutenants start straddling out and, and, and quitting, you know. Yeah. And I were, there's a big ass hill. And I would take them up to the top of the hill and then come back down, get them back around the company and have my cadre like really get after them. But then I would bring everyone in and, and like, Hey, th- that was a, what I just did was an exercise in, in mindset and grit. Like it's not over. And you as a leader, you know, as officers, I expect a little bit, just a little bit more from you, but you cannot fall out and quit on your soldiers. Like you as a leader have to be able to mentally persevere and push through because yeah. if not, like everyone in your formation is going to take lead from that. And so that was always a little mental trick and man, they hated me for that, but <laughs> it was a very, it was a valuable exercise. And like, Hey, when you think that you don't have enough, like you have a little bit more in the tank yeah, and that it's, it's mindset. It's all mindset. It's being able to push through. Yeah. No, the importance of the end game, the end game yeah. is not a point it's completion, right? You know, yeah. I, uh, and all Goggins thing says all the time, Goggins is a burnt into my brain, man. <laughs> and I try not to listen to him before I'm going to release content. Cause you know, it just kind of comes out. I'm, I'm, I mimic him a little bit, but you know, it, it's, it's like, you don't stop when you're tired. You stop when you're done, you know, just it's, it's a great motto. You know, it's the, the goal is to finish. The goal is to complete. The goal is to get through it. It's not a, a certain, certain point. The third, um, you know, sources of meaning, you know, just talking about the courage through difficult times. And there was a couple of great quotes I felt that were 
were there, um, you know, around that. The other one, you know, we talked about it being the, the meaning of life is the courage to, to the courage in difficult times. Um, and then it hit on a couple other areas and, you know, being a core value alliance guy, I wanted to get there. There was like, just talking about, um, you know, suffering, you know, the courage to endure the, the suffering. And, and one of the quotes, you know, from the book was like, uh, taking and transforming a, a personal tragedy, tragedy into a triumph and, uh, to turn one's predicament into a human achievement. Right. And, and that's, you know, that's, that's a bit of, about, the courage to, to go through it, the courage to, you know, face it and instead of, you know, um, falling out, right. Like, I guess even like a little bit to this perspective of your lieutenants falling out, like the courage to push through it and, and, and that willpower and things like that. But, uh, and again, I guess we'll make this a pseudo Goggins because I did think about Goggins a lot of this because he talks about suffering, you know, and he, he, he's a great, um, you know, uh, was it Roger Bannister of our time talking, showing like how far a human can go, you know, um, you know, the four minute mile guy, right. He's to me, Goggins is that for our times, like showing you how far you can really go. Um, and you know, he talks about this in his book, another great book, um, can't hurt me. Another great recommendation to see, you know, to go through a, a tragic circumstance, but his thing in his story, which I love was he was looking at a circumstance, especially when he was trying to join the Navy SEALs going, what if I became a Navy SEAL? Like he was three over 300 pounds. He had to lose 105 pounds in, in you know, three or four months or whatever to even, even be accepted. But his mindset was like, what if, what if I take my crappy story, you know, my father beat me. I was, you know, victim of racism, you know, living in the upper Midwest. What if I became a Navy SEAL? What if, you know, and that's kind of what this quote reminded me of was like taking a personal tragedy and turn it into a triumph. I, th I thought it was a really, uh, there's many examples of that, that we see, you know, um, especially of motivational speakers and these inspirational stories we see it are examples of people that are saying they take their personal tragedies and, and, and bring value to the world as a, as a result of it. Yeah. Uh, what I appreciate about this book is that, you know, he, he talks about suffering and hardship is, is relevant to everyone. It's part of the human experience. Oftentimes I think that people gravitate toward comfort and leisure thinking that they're going to find happiness there. So they create this very comfortable life. What they find is that they're never really quite satisfied or when, hardship does make its way into your life because it will, they're not resilient enough to adequately deal with it. And so basically what his argument is, is that, you know, if there's meaning at all in life, then there must be meaning in suffering because it's, uh, it's just a part of the human experience. Everyone has suffering some and, and everyone it, it's different for everyone. It could be emotional, spiritual, it could be like physical. Um, but without, he says without suffering and, and death, human life cannot be complete because it's a part of us. So, so many people, and I think that's, uh, that's one of the dichotomies of the abundant world that we live in is that there's so much comfort and there's so much distraction from the difficult thing that some people get so wrapped up into that and they gravitate toward that a little bit too much, indulge in things a little bit too much. And when, these difficult things do make their way in their life. They just do not have the emotional, spiritual, or physical capacity to navigate that effectively. And that's why 
I constantly put myself in a controlled environment of being uncomfortable, doing difficult things has been the handrail of my success. And I continue to do so to this day. You know, one of the the recent things I started doing, I actually did it this morning for the first time, like wake up immediately. I, I started incorporating cold showers, uh, part of 75 hard. But I was listening to Tony Robbins. He talks about hopping into his plunge tank, which is like 57 degrees to change his physiology. And I'm like, I did that first thing this morning. I woke up. I'm like, okay, RPM. I'm going to RPSM and just <laughs> take a shower and put it on cold. It changed my physiology to wake, to wake me up. And, but oh, yeah. when I do that, not only do I wake myself up, but man, it makes me grateful for that warm cup of coffee, that warm towel. It reminds me of the times when I was deployed. And I remember being in Iraq in the wintertime. Um, when we did start having showers on a regular basis, it was like this fire truck uh, that came in and gave us water like three times a week, but it was always cold. We had a very small hot water, hot, hot water tank and hundreds of soldiers. So the shower was always cold, but it just makes me grateful that, Hey, I can turn the hot water on when I want to, I can get a hot cup of coffee. It enables me to have more gratitude for things yeah. in life that oftentimes we take for granted. It is. And right. You know, one of the things that we coach people on is, is energy energizers, right? Which is one of the things we teach and, and promote is like having a, a gratitude journal where you are, you know, showing gratitude for various things, whatever they may be, especially if it's other people, you know, like give, showing and demonstrating gratitude for others. It's, it's, um, you know, I was working with a client yesterday and we were talking about that. I was like, you know, the power of it, you think it's, it's unidirectional, right? The power, like telling someone, Hey man, I really appreciate how you did that for me. Or I really appreciate how you show up or, you know, give it, demonstrating some gratitude, but I, I, t I told him, I said, you know, put yourself in the receiving end of that, right? You know, and imagine how you're making them feel. And it's, it, it's, I told him, it's like Christmas, you know, when you give someone a gift and they open it and they light up and, and you feel good, you know, because you're thinking of them there, you, you've, you've made someone's Christmas, whatever. Um, and that's like the power of, of gratitude as well. Just, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, yes, being, um, showing gratitude for, appreciation for what we've got because we've got it really freaking easy you know uh, all things considered um compared to some dire circumstances out there but you know living a life of gratitude is is really a big energizer you're, you're suffering with your energy a little bit you know start start thinking a little bit more intentionally about showing and demonstrating some gratitude absolutely i mean as we're as we're talking about this just like what about a week ago we're watching the events unfold in Afghanistan where there are literally people clinging to a C-17 Globemaster that's taxiing on the runway. Yeah. The aircraft takes off. These yeah. people want, they're so desperate to get out of the situation that they're, they would give anything. You're like, your worst day would be a yeah. dream to them. And that's yeah. one of the, uh, it's one of the, the just the, the paradoxes of, of, being in Western society, the things that we are, I, I scroll through social media and the things that people complain about, it's like, Oh my God, like I cannot, like, I wish more Americans would travel abroad and see how good that they have it and have more gratitude. And it's so frustrating to, to, to see that. And, um, so not to go off on a tangent there, but that's just one thing that's kind of popped in my mind. The, the images are still, there's a lot of emotion around that right now about gratitude and suffering. And there's so many people suffering and people forget how good they have it. That's well, they why, take that's it for granted, right? They, they yep. take it for granted. And, and you, I guess the other part of it is I wouldn't underestimate how fragile our comfort really is. 
you know, we take for granted a lot, like our electricity, you know, even our plumbing, right? Like what happened down in Texas earlier this year where this cold snap comes through um, and it's freezing for a day or two, whatever it was, but pipes were busting all over the place. The whole, there was so much effect for something that we take for granted, you know, such as modern plumbing, you know, getting our, getting our water, you know, that, oh. but it, so the, the point of that is like, don't take it for granted, man. Like, you know, and, and don't forget about how fragile, you know, our ability to have electricity, the internet. I mean, look how much dependency we have on the internet. And how is your day in your house or at your job when that freaking internet's down? And I'm going to tell you right now, you're only one car accident on the street away from your internet being down for a day. And it, because it's just that easy. And you know, snap that fiber line, you know, it's, it's a problem. Yeah. And, and it, it's got a big trickle effect. And we don't, I don't think we, and that's just the stupid internet. <laughs> like, you know, so I, it's. I think COVID's demonstrated uh, a lot of uh, yeah. weaknesses in our supply chain, right? You go down yeah. there. Well, I remember when COVID first kicked off, you couldn't get toilet paper. Or everyone's freaking out about, you know, where they're going to wipe their bum with. And then we're still having, you know, it's been over a year now. We're still having logistical issues. I, I have a forerunner. I, I noticed that the, uh, most of the car dealerships, they don't have any cars right now because of the microchips, they can't process them. Yeah. My car is three years old. My forerunner is three years old. And I could sell it now for what I paid for it three years ago. It's incredible to me. And it just so quickly, things can absolutely change on a, on a dime. And um, so to your point, everything can change. Hi, everyone. Dale here. I want to take a quick break to invite you to join us at lionsguide.com. Have you ever struggled to show up as your best when you really needed to most? Have you ever stared at your week and you just wondered, how the heck am I going to fit all this in? Or worse, have you come to the end of your week and asked, how come you didn't get done what you wanted to? Or maybe have you ever struggled to gain influence at work or home? Or have you felt as if you are a productive person, but you really don't know where you're going or what you want? So the distractions of social media or maybe Netflix take over your day. If any of that sounds like you, I want you to know that you're not alone and invite you to visit us online at lionsguide.com and subscribe to the Lions Guide newsletter or maybe even download some of our free guides to help you on your journey. The time is now to transition to the next level in your performance and personal growth and have some joy in life. Visit lionsguide.com and subscribe today. You owe it to yourself and those most important to you to be the best version of you. Don't lose any more time. Subscribe today. I can't wait to see who you're going to become. And now back to the show. Yeah. And I guess on that point of courage, like another quote I had picked up from that was, um, you know, what he, a point that he made was like, uh, man is not fully conditioned and determined, but rather determines himself whether he gives in to uh, conditions or stands up to them. In other words, man is ultimately self-determining. Man does not simply exist, but always decides what his existence will be, what he will become in the next moment. And it was a big statement to me about kind of what we're talking about, right? Like that, that cliche that you hear, it's like, it's not about what happens to you. It's, it's how you react to it and all in the powerful, how powerful that mindset is. And I, I thought this was a great kind of call out to, you know, we're not, we're not, you know, animals have are birth. He actually touches on this as well. Like animals are born with instinct. At some point in our ex evolution, we lost this instinct and we're not like predetermined, right? We're not pre-programmed away um, and born with some of those instincts. And, but what we do have is the capability to control our reactions. And that, you know, this point here about, you know, not being fully conditioned, but you, you condition yourself and, you know, how you give in to conditions or how you stand up to them. And I thought it was just a really powerful statement around, you know, 
how you carry yourself, how you face and, and how you, how you can utilize courage, uh, in your life and the challenges that, that behold us. Yeah. We get to choose our attitude and how we approach things. And for me, I, I have to be very careful of this because I wear my emotions on my sleeve. And if I'm not happy about something, you can usually tell on how I approach things. And, you know, there, there are times that it's one of the things that I, I love about doing endurance events, especially like team oriented stuff like adventure races, where you have like a team of people. Once you start getting hungry and you start getting tired and things start getting really miserable, that's when personality, that's when true personalities really, really come out, you know? Uh, that's why, you know, in the military, we train so hard. We train for multiple days. We try to put that stress. First day is always going to be pretty easy. Everyone's pretty happy. Everyone's got their energy. Everything's clean, everything. But as the days grow on and you get sleep deprivation, you're not getting, you know, three hots in a cot. And that's when personalities really, really come out. And for me, Putting myself in those positions have helped me because I, I can get very irritable. And as a leader, that's not good, right? So that's one of the things that I've worked on as I, and I've gotten really much better at this. Like when I put myself in these long endurance events, I will focus in. I've had moments where in a, in a big bike race, I'll throw my bike and have my little hissy fit, like F this, F the world, you know, what am I doing? I have really, I haven't had that in a while. I, I've had those thoughts, but I've been able to detach that, like to not have my little hissy fit, you know, to speak because I, I want to sharpen that. I want to, I want to be better as a leader. I need to be better than that. And sometimes you're not always going to be on your A game, but when you're faced with these situations where, you know, it's kind of Maslow's hierarchy needs, when a lot of these needs are stripped away, it really affects your emotion and how you show up to it. And in those moments where you're not feeling good, you're feeling very irritable, you're very, you're uncomfortable, are you going to show up in a positive way? Because I tell you, when you're experiencing misery and you've got someone that's just complaining about it the whole time, it, it will bring the morale of the whole team down. Oh, yeah. As opposed to having a positive outlook like, hey, guys, I know this sucks, but, you know, and try to motivate them. Let's have a positive outlook. We're all suffering together you'll have a much better experience <laughs> to get through it. Yeah. Yeah. It only takes the right. You know, it only takes that one to start planting those seeds of doubt, the seeds of negativity and those seeds start to grow and infest, you know, like a freaking weed in a garden, man, you know, it, once it takes root and starts going, it's, it's hard to pluck out, you know, and, and the longer it takes to pluck out, the longer, the harder it is, I guess, you know, so it's best to best to avoid it. Um, you know, uh, a couple of other things like this, you know, another area, you know, I felt theme, you know, I was finding throughout the book was just this, you know, on the topic of freedom, you know, um, and it was freedom of mind, you know, the, the freedom, you know, because, you know, I felt like through his experience of the concentration camp, he was talking about like, he, no matter what the, um, the guards did to him and the SS, like they could never take away what was between his two years, man, like they could not take away, like, and he was, you know, he owned that. That was the one thing that, that, that they couldn't get their hands on. Sure. They weren't giving him food and they were, you know, they had slave labor and all these things, but they could not take away, you know, his, you know, his experiences. Um, you know, and, and that was, uh, like the quote I, I had highlighted from that it says forces beyond your control can take away everything you possess, except one thing, your freedom to choose how you will respond to the situation. You know, it's just, just the, the freedom of, of control and, um, you know, mindset. And I thought that was a really, really powerful item, item there. 
Yeah, it goes back to having having the control over your mind, really. Having, you know, are you going to let your emotions just, you know, consume you? So many people, you know, we got two parts of the mind. We got the emotional brain, we got logic brain, and so many people let their emotions just take over. But that's one of the things I appreciate about the study of stoicism is that, hey, acknowledge your emotions. They're there for a reason. It's survival instinct for whatever reason. There's some physiological things happening heightened sense of awareness to deal with it, but the ability to detach from it and continue to maneuver forward and make logical decisions and endure and suffer as need be to get through that instance, because so many people let their emotions get the better of them. And I think that's, that's a mistake. And I think in the topic of leadership, you know, I think it's why stoicism has been a, a, I've it's really enhanced my leadership ability as an officer because oftentimes there are situations that come up and I can't let my emotions fly off the handle. I may not like the situation that I'm in. I may not like the order that was given to me. I may not like a myriad of things. Maybe I don't have all the resources that I need and it seems like an overwhelming task, but as a leader, I can't let that show, right? I got to detach my emotion from it and like look for the positive because everyone else is going to feed off of me if I make a brastishism or a comment or let it get to the better of me. And that is difficult to do. That's something that takes practice. <laughs> and again, you know, like we talked about earlier, like training your mindsets, like training and training your muscles, man. Like, and, and to your point earlier, you made about being an endurance athlete, like you're taking yourself to depths that, you know, when you run into other pseudo difficult situations, you can always reach back and go, man, I've, I've been in worse spots. You know, I, I ran, I ran 50 miles. What I got, I got to hike, I got to hump three, you know, whatever, whatever the case may be like you can, you, you've got those things. And that was another, you know, quote that I had highlighted and, and put in this, this freedom category was, you know, this quote, he said, you know, what, what you have experienced, you know, I'll say in life, but what, what you have experienced, no power on earth can take that from you. Right. You know, your, your knowledge, your experience, like there's no power on earth that can take that from you. And, and I guess that, a couple of things there, like knowing that, um, and getting out and experiencing more, you know, that's the real, real goal of life, right. Is getting out there and, and, you know, experiencing more, not, not staying, you know, uh, one trick pony and doing the same things all the time, go experience other things and, you know, expand your reach, um, you know, and challenge yourself, you know, in, in that regard, um, I think it's, it, it really serves you. Well, one of my favorite Chinese, I think it's a Chinese proverb is I'd rather be the, the warrior in the garden than the gardener in the war. Yeah. It's really essentially being prepared physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I continue to train. Like I could do like a couple weekends ago, I did the steamboat 142 is 140 mile bike race up in the mountains of Colorado. I could have easily stayed home and just binge watched, you know, saved a bunch of money, stayed home, binge watched some Netflix or do you know, go out to the winery and drink wine and beer, or do whatever. But I put myself in these positions to see how far I can push myself. And I guess just to just, just prepare, just a constant state of uh, preparedness for whatever. Because I know that it's exercising my mind, my body, my spirit. Because man, people are like, why do you do this to yourself all the time? You don't have to do this. And I, I question myself at the end of the race, like, why am I doing this to myself? And then I go up and sign up for something else right afterwards. <laughs> but it's, it's for that because I, I just want to push myself as a reminder of what the body and the mind can do in the event that I need to do that. 
it's it's the whole training for life thing and and it's you know the other part of that is you know i, I was actually i won't say i was in my head about it this morning but um you know i've got my my three projects i'm, I'm hyper focused on right now but i i I do make it a habit to maintain every single day. You know, I, I maintain it's, it's that, that, that saying like, you know, stay ready. So you don't have to get ready. Um, because I know, um, and I guess th I say this for those of you out there who like take those days off or take that week off and, and stuff like that is it's hard to get back. You know, once you, <laughs> once you take that, that week off that, that weekend on the couch, those binge dates and all that stuff, um, especially if you do it for a longer period of time. I mean, my, my personal general rule, and I'm not a, you know, check with your doctor or your fitness advisor or whatever, but I feel like, man, once you, you're, if you go more than two weeks, you know, not staying on routine or, or some sort of maintenance mode, you're in danger zone, you know, because you're now you're going to start, you know, <laughs> shoveling, shoveling onto the hill that you got to climb to get back up where you were, you know? Yeah. I, I also coach in health and wellness as a running coach, and I've just done some health and wellness coaching. It's I'm a big advocate of you train every day. Some of your training days might be active recovery because recovery is training, and active recovery could be a walk, could be yoga. I know we both just recently did 75 hard. You yeah. can't do two hit workouts every day or run twice a day for 75. Days. You're going to hurt yourself, right? Yeah. But the habit of just having that time block to go for a walk or just do some active recovery stretching, you're still maintaining that routine and that rhythm. I don't think people have, some people can do it, but that whole notion of exercise three times a week, the people that tend to do it regularly, like make it every day, at least six days a week, maybe one day your, your rest day or whatever, tend to stick with it more than the people that just do it a handful of times a day because life is going to happen. Things are going to come up in the in the way, like you said. You push it off till the end of the day; it's just not going to happen. You got to make that part of your daily battle rhythm, daily routine. Um, and and we talked about it earlier. Um, you know, I guess a coaching point is, um, you know, the the need to get up earlier. You know, if you're if you're choosing a life of growth, you know, and, and personal development, the need to get up earlier. And the same thing applies there. You know, when I'm coaching folks to to get up earlier, maximize the their efficiency, their day. Um, obviously get the right amount of sleep, but get the most out of your day usually means you got to get up earlier, but just like you said, with the exercise, like you've got to be consistent. You know, if you're, if you're Monday through Friday, I'm going to get up at 5am, but I'm going to sleep until 10 or 11 on Saturday and Sunday, Monday is going to be a tough day at the office trying to get back on that five o'clock run. Yeah. I say a day here and there, if your body needs it, it'll tell you, but if you make that a routine, it's, it's just not good for you. It's not good. And, uh, you got to get after it. you got, it's having a disciplined lifestyle, right? It's having yeah. a disciplined lifestyle of doing that hard thing every day, that, that difficult, that little bit of suffering every day. That's one thing I like about exercising. If you're doing it right, even if you're doing yoga, like I, I've been doing yoga with my daughters last few days, there are uh, some uncomfortable stretches. That's what's great about yoga is that they're, I'm not getting my heart rate up. I'm not slinging weights out. That's a different level of discomfort, but even stretching, like it's, it's that, one of my favorite quotes about yoga is uh, it's a martial art you do against yourself. It's, it's just, you're still <laughs> suffering, right? A little bit. And, uh, I, I appreciate that. And I, and I think that's important to continue to have that daily hardship as a reminder. 
martial art you do against yourself. That's hilarious. The um, yeah, an MMA fighter that said that, I, but it, it I, like I'm kicking my own ass and downward dog. And what my, my daughter said this morning was upward corn dog or something like that. <laughs> Dude, why is downward dog so hard? Like, and I, I, I guess maybe like working out and doing upper body, like my shoulders are already tired, but man, like I'll, I'll be doing a yoga thing and I'm like, can we get, can we get out of downward dog already? Like my shoulders are like, and, and it, and it, I'm like, this is so stupid. Like I'm ready to tap out just by holding my butt up in the air. Like, I mean, is this what we're saying here? Like, come on, man. You know, but yeah, but it's good. But, but back to the point about like, uh, being, you know, <laughs> going out there and living more, like getting more of these experiences, like yoga is one of those things. Like I've, I've been doing yoga since COVID, you know, because COVID I couldn't go to the gym anymore. So I started really, you know, um, consuming our, our Peloton membership and, um, yoga's on there. I was like, yeah, man, I need to get more flexible. That was uh, my intention was for jujitsu because yeah, I'm, I'm not flexible. I don't stretch the way I needed to at the time. Um, so I was like, I'm going to start doing yoga, go get more flexible and improve my jujitsu game. Um, but I've had various unsolvable quote unquote injuries. Uh, my shoulder was really like locked up and whatever in, um, it and something else I don't recall at this very second. Um, but it was a problem, but I had been to doctors they couldn't tell me what was wrong. Thankfully, none of them threw me under their knife just because they, they could charge me for it, you know, because um, med medicine is a business, guys. You know, just don't forget that, right? Medicine is the business. Get that second opinion before you just start running under knives and all that stuff. But anyways, um, I'm doing yoga and like you said, funky, crazy stretches. And so I get in this one position and I'm like, whoa, I just exactly where I've been having all these shoulder problems literally for years it started to release like and and what was really wrong with me was not an injured shoulder and, and the, thankfully i had good doctors that truly couldn't find something so didn't didn't just go for anything but what it really was in my head was i had a seized up muscle in my back but just by having the courage to go try yoga despite judgment or or you know the my avoidance of it you know because it's not considered a manly thing or whatever, you know, you know, that, that, that kind of like perception of it, but choosing to do it actually solved for a problem I've been having for years that no one else could. So now I know what stretch I do. I do it regularly and I don't have that shoulder problem anymore. It is literally gone away. Um, so it's just a power of just saying yes to experience new things and then decide if you like it or don't like it. Don't presume you, you know, something doesn't have value or isn't going to serve you. Um, and yeah, that, that's don't judge the book by its cover. Yeah. Don't, don't judge, judge that book by its cover. Cause I, you know, for, we're both military guys and like yeah, yoga, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, that's same, the exact same, but I committed to doing yoga last year as part of my second workout. I couldn't run distance over like a half marathon. I unlocked myself by doing the yoga. A lot of, I had a lot of hip tension and flexibility issues. I was able to run three fifty Ks and now I'm training for another one this year specifically because of the yoga. So yeah. uh, doing hard, ridiculous things. <laughs> <laughs> Martial arts against yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, another topic area from the book was um, the importance of vision, you know, having, having a vision. And there's some, some areas there on that. Um, you know, another, we, we touched on some of it, you know, around that end game, um, you know, uh, and the part about, you know, the part, the quote that I highlighted here was, you know, about the, like there, he said there was an opportunity and a challenge, right? They, they, they saw their, um, 
imprisonment as, as a challenge. And, and one could make a victory of those experiences and, and turning life into that inner triumph like we talked about earlier, uh, or one could ignore the challenge and simply vegetate as a majority, as did a majority of the prisoners. And these were the ones that, that chose to vegetate um, instead of rising to the occasion. These were the ones that, that ultimately perished. So it was, again, the, you know, that, that vision, um, you know, having that vision of, of completion. Um, and that was what, what he said was like the real reason for those folks' deaths were truly just giving up, giving up hope. You know, I thought that was just some more quotes around that area. And we touched on a little bit earlier, but uh, all my lists were, were that they were, you know, just beating that, beating that dead horse, if you will, uh, around, like just having hope, having a vision, you know, beyond the, the circumstance. Yeah. As you were saying that, I just started thinking about this is a much toned down version of that. But I think about COVID and how it's affected people staying home and their resiliency and dealing with all the issues surrounding COVID and how some people have used it as an opportunity to thrive. They have a more optimistic future and how can they use this opportunity to better themselves? Or did you pack on the COVID-19, the COVID-19 pounds because uh, you've just vegged out, watched, binge watched everything on Netflix, searched to the end of the internet, argued, argued with idiots, <laughs> uh, you know, used it in a negative way. And yeah. You can tell the people that are thriving right now and, and, and how, how they've approached the situation versus those that have, have had this negative um, outlook and uh, impact, you know. And so, yes, the book is definitely extreme, but in current times, so many of us, as you're listening to this, are str still struggling with this issue right now. And, you know, um, the, the Delta variant, you know, is, is on the rise. And uh, I, I, I know that, you know, we're back wearing masks again, doing teleworking at work again. And it, it's, it's a challenge for a lot of people, but are you using this as an opportunity to grow or are you complaining and just taking the, the path of comfort and uh, not using this opportunity? I mean, and it is that right. And, and, and look, I agree. I, like if you take a little bit of that concept of that end game and you know, look, what do we, what, where do we start with COVID? It was like, oh, in two weeks, we'll be back to normal. You know, like those, those same things where we're talking about like that, that, that pointed end game that doesn't come uh, versus saying, how am I going to endure this? Right. That like COVID is, I can't control when COVID is or isn't. So what are my goals and, and objectives and how am I going to endure and accomplish those despite COVID? as opposed to that mindset of just putting everything on hold until COVID's over. Yeah. Man, bro, that, that's not going to happen. <laughs> like, you know, um, cause we've been looking for that end game for now, you know, the last 18 months, you know, we've been looking for when things get back to normal and things get, man, look, COVID is an obstacle, um, between you and your goals and, and whatever that, whatever that is. And you gotta, you've got to start flanking, you know, you've got to start maneuvering around COVID to get your goals accomplished. Um, rather than just, just parking it or hitting pause, you know, look, time is your biggest asset. We can't, you know, that's not serving you, you know, the, that once COVID's over COVID COVID in that case, when some, when people give that, well, once COVID over COVID's over, I'm going to X like you just, you just, you just packed another, you know, tool in your excuse belt, man, you know, COVID's your new excuse. What was it before that? Like, and don't, don't let COVID be excuse. Let it, like you said, let it be your opportunity. Yeah. Humans are so resistant to change. And 
you know, I think the more resilient you are, the more you adapt to change and you realize that change is just part of the human dynamic. We're trying to control things that we can't control. When you're trying to control things that you can't control, you're going to feel feelings of frustration, anger, all of the negative emotions because you're trying to control something that you have no control over. Yeah. So, you know, trying to view something through a different lens is not easy to do. It is easier when you read and you have more points of wisdom and you have, you know, that, that those, those tools in your belt to look at, hey, what are the opportunities here that are available? You know, this is going to like in the business sense, like this is really going to stress a lot of businesses and you're going to find out, you know, what the weak, the weak businesses are already collapsing. Yeah. And then how are so, some businesses are already pivoting because this is the new norm, or at least it's going to be the new norm for the unforeseen future. But you can wring your hands and get pissed off and yell at the TV and just wait this thing out. But I don't think that's serving you. You know, I think this is an opportunity. Like, what are the opportunities and what's it costing you by not seizing those opportunities? How can yeah. you get better from this situation? And, um, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. We've probably thought that this thing was going to blow over much quicker than it has, but it's been far more complicated and it's not going anywhere as of this podcast. <laughs> I, I don't see an end end state anytime soon. Great. So, you know, to kind of, again, this is a very lighter circumstance compared to that, but, you know, don't be that prisoner that was waiting for Christmas to come, you know, when we're all going to yeah. be released as, you know, similarly with COVID, like don't wait for the COVID get back to normal, you know, moving goalposts. It's, I've said, you know, and, and that we never went back after 9-11, right? You know, there was industries created around security that are probably hundreds or billions of dollars of of revenue for companies. Like, that's not going away. We're not taking all that security out of the airports. Like, like that's been rooted now. We're not going back. And I feel that COVID did the same thing. It created policies based on this circumstance. It created industries based on this circumstance. And now there's a lot of investment into these circumstances. And even if, they, if and when they go away, there, there, there's some sort of incentive for them to stay, right? So there's, I, that, that going back just might not come, you know? So we've got to endure and, and navigate through because we have no control over that. I mean, I, that's, that's probably my biggest fear of this whole thing is that that we've uh, we've bent so far that some of these things that are major inconveniences to our economy and and our way of life um, and and even you know uh, personal rights and freedoms have been limited in a way that I'm fearful that some of them don't go back uh, and that that's not that go all crazy you know all right like they're stealing our freedoms and taking our guns and all that I'm just saying like you know uh, it, it be careful how far we stretch you know and bend um, with these types of things because because. You, you don't see policy get reversed a lot, you know, and, and yeah. you know, there's a thing called precedent, you know, once these precedents start getting set, you know, um, that's where we, we start to, you know, we don't go back. So. Absolutely. And I look at the uh, positive sides of this, like Walmart, uh, uh, pickup, you know, yes, I don't have to go into a Walmart ever again. If I don't want to, you know, I look at the, uh, you know, the, people are using zoom and the, the technology has improved in our ability to communicate because more people are working from home. 
Uh, you know, my girlfriend got a job working from home and now I can see her more often and we're teleworking, which is, you know, enables me to, I'm partial telework, but when I am home, I'm with my kids more and I can feel like I can get more things done. I feel like I have more control. I enjoy my work a little bit better. There are a lot of advances that, uh, you know, that, that are happening on, on the positive, but I guess the thing is, is that, you know, humans resist change, but change is a part of life and we need to embrace it and always look for the positive and don't dwell on the negative because you're going to be disappointed. And when those, you know, those emotions can boil over and they, they just don't serve you. I hardly yeah. ever, I think of a negative emotions. Like when was the last time you getting pissed off has really truly served you? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> uh, man, I hope I don't butcher, butcher. There's a great quote. It's like anger is the wind that blows out the light of the mind or something like that. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's, yeah. You know, the, um, you know, a couple other things to hit on for we, we start to wrap up here. Um, you know, one of the things that, you know, there were, I felt a lot of calls for leadership, um, in the book as well. Um, and a couple of things like one, you know, I felt talked about, um, you know, this aiming at your goal and it, it you know, and I'll, I'll read the quote here and dive into what, I, what I, what I thought about this one, which was, it said, um, don't aim at success. The more you aim at it and make it a target, the more you're going to miss it for success, like happiness cannot be pursued. It must ensue and only does so as the unintended side effect of one's dedication to a cause greater than oneself or as the byproduct of one's surrender to a person other than oneself. Right. And, you know, this kind of said two things, right. It, it spoke to passion, right. You know, accomplishing our goals and having our passion for our goals and, and, and bringing value, you know, um, to others or whatever. But the other thing, you know, I thought about, um, I, I recently, uh, did a, did a training on, uh, having your own, having a scorecard and, and, you know, to accomplish our goals and, and ha what I, I basically was training on what a scorecard is, how it supports your goals and what leading and lagging indicators are. And, you know, you really want to focus on your leading indicators, like, you know, your activities that are contributing to the accomplishment of your goals. So, so this kind of reminded me of that, right? Like don't aim at, you know, don't make all your focus. Like you're trying to lose 20 pounds. You're trying to lose your COVID-19. Um, you know, you're trying to lose your COVID-19. Like don't focus on the 19, focus on your diet, focus on the workout every day, right? Focus on those things that will result in losing your COVID-19. Uh, and I felt this was kind of speaking that a little bit, like, you know, as far as like the, the, the hyper-focus on, you know, what you're intending rather than uh, hyper-focus on the activity that, that gets you there. I don't know if that makes sense. Is it? Yeah. I, uh, I was actually right before this podcast, I, I saw a video of Frankel speaking to college students and this is like later in his life. And he was, uh, he's a very articulate speaker. I was actually really, mm -hmm. he's very animated, very cool. So I, I would highly recommend uh, looking him up in some video, but he was talking about, he was taking flying lessons, he's taking flying lessons. And he was talking about in his, he was learning about flying a plane and you have crosswinds and the crosswinds I think represent like, all of the things that happen in life, maybe all the, all the, the, the variances of life. And as you in, in flying, you're trying to go from point A to point B, but because of all the crosswind, which I think is what he was getting at is like just life, the friction of life, you have to aim over here. Cause if you try to fly from point A to point B, you're not going to make it because of the crosswind of life. So aim over here. And that's what, that's what, uh, pilots do. They have this crabbing effect, I guess, where they're able to maneuver the plane over before they <laughs> sure, need to yeah. go, but you're not going to have 
smooth, uh, a smooth pattern of flight because you're going to have crosswinds that, that happen. So, uh, yeah, just doing the thing, having the daily habit in health and wellness coaching, you know, a lot of people, I think people get this wrong all the time. I want to lose 20 pounds and they are so focused on stepping on the scale. They're going to do the exercise until they get to their goal or close to it. And then they stop again. And if you just made exercise a daily habit and just made that part of your daily suffering, right? Just no, you'll probably lose the 20 pounds and never have to deal with that hell in your life again. Because for so many people, it's this cycle of, I got to lose weight. I got to be on a certain size. No, what I tell people is like, hey, go train for a marathon. You'll lose the 20 pounds and you're going to have this incredible experience and the sense of accomplishment. And hopefully with the intent of making this a lifestyle change, don't just train for the 20 pound loss. Go do CrossFit. It's a great thing about, I, I think CrossFit is, I think it's great. I'm not a CrossFitter, um, but the community aspect of that and being a part of making that daily routine, that's why CrossFit is so successful. Take the mindset of that athlete and make that a part of your daily routine as opposed to aiming for that success of losing 20 pounds because you're not going to make it. But if you have that mindset of the athlete mindset, which is why I still do endurance events, I'm an athlete, I'm a cyclist, I'm an avid endurance athlete, uh, that I always have something to train for. And I'm naturally not, you know, hopefully keep myself in a, in a fit condition. I don't have to worry about stepping on the scale and my pants not fitting and I don't have that hell in my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and the way I, I like to teach it is, um, you know, it's like the report card effect, right? You know, back to leading and lagging indicators. Um, in your case, you're talking about like the, 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 how much you weigh in, in like how much weight you've lost is a measurement and a leading indicator is an activity. Um, and I like to kind of use the analogy, like the report card, right? You know, by the time you get your report card, your report your grades are a lagging indicator because by the time you get the report card, there's not a damn thing you can do about it, right? That's been set. The, the, the activity that resulted in what you see in front of you is in the past and you can't change it anymore. Um, and that's where like, don't get hyper-focused on that, that measurement, get hyper-focused on the activity that will result in that measurement. So with the report card analogy, if you're doing all your homework, you're, you're, your measure, your hours of study are up, right? The things, the activities that result in your goal, right? When you're doing those things, you don't need to think about what the report card is because you already know, right? The, then your your lagging indicator, your weight loss, um, whatever your report card in that analogy, it's not a surprise, right? Because you already know. Well, I've been working out every day and I've had a caloric deficit of 500 calories a day for seven days a week. So two weeks from now, when I get on a scale. I can expect to see weight loss. Now, those leading indicators, those those activities that you those become your leverage. So, you want to lose more weight, work out more. You want to lose more weight, eat less, right? Like eat better, whatever the case may be. So, that's that's our focus. Don't get don't get so locked in on that those lagging indicators thing because by the time you look, you know, what you should have been focused on, those activities, they're gone, you know, that they're in the past. Yeah, as I work with with uh, clients, you know, we work ninety days at a time. We work quarter quarterly goals in every aspect of life: health and wellness, wealth creation, their relationships, their personal development, and then projects that they have going on in their life. You know, what's the keystone habit that you're going to incorporate? What's that time block that you're going to execute every day to get through this project? Because if you show up and do just 
actively work in that area, you're going to achieve your goal because you're doing the, the work. And I think about the Pareto rule, like, you know, uh, 80% of your outputs are going to come from 20% of the input. So what's that 20%? Those are the keystone habits and and actions, activities that you need to incorporate every single day. Yeah. I I mean, it's, it's that. And and I think, you know, a couple key points as we wrap up here, I I felt, and and we'll wrap up just for the interest of time. Um, It was that, and and a couple couple big things that I felt like were thematic between here that were, you know, the importance of taking responsibility, right? Instead of, you know, giving away your responsibility for the outcomes in your life, there's a lot of talk about, you know, res- what what he called re- responsibleness, right? And, and that's the very existence of, you know, very essence of human existence, which is taking responsibility. And I've heard that theme over and over and over again. Even, you know, Stephen Covey's uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, before he even gets into Seven Habits, he, he talks about nothing's going to work until you take responsibility, right? You know, people listen to this probably, you know, have read Extreme Ownership. That's all about taking responsibility, you know, and there was just, there's so much in this book. And again, back written, written in the 40s by a Holocaust survivor about the importance of just taking responsibility for your outcome. I thought that was a really, really big theme throughout this book as well. Uh, absolutely. You got to take responsibility. You're responsible for everything that happens to you and fails to happen to you. And you know, I think about that as leadership. You know, if you got to lead yourself first, you're responsible for everything that happens to you and fails to happen to you. And yeah, hundred percent. So yeah, man, so we're, we're, we're deep into this and, and I guess we'll wrap up at this point and, you know, we could go, all, I, I could go all day on, on this one. It's, it's a, it, it's got a lot of depth to it. So, uh, man search for meaning by, uh, Victor Frankel, uh, recommended read by Jay Teagues and, uh, it's on the Lions God reading list. So check it out. You, you'll, <laughs> you're going to get something out of this, you know, and, and if nothing else, the experience of, of, of what those, uh, what those folks went through at a, a dire time and circumstance and what, you know, what, the, what human uh, endurance is really capable of and what, what hope and courage and freedom, leadership, responsibility, all the things we talked about today, um, how they really, you know, serve, you know, our meaning, you know, and, and life and, and taking responsibility for that. So, Jay, my man, thanks once again, coming on the podcast. Great to have you back on. I appreciate the, uh, the time and the great conversation. This was outstanding. Good to go. Well, we'll do it again next time. We'll find another, we'll, maybe we'll hit your, uh, the slight edge book next time. Yeah, we'll hit that one up. That's a great book. <laughs> Highly recommend. Cool, man. Good to go. All right, we'll talk soon. <laughs> <laughs>